Folks, we are in Psalm 96, and it talks about the unending love of God today. These, I love these psalms. Through, through the late 80s, through the 90s, they are just such encouraging um, passages of Scripture. And if you're feeling down, if you're feeling low, can I encourage you, pull these psalms out. I think if you start about 88, 87, something like that, you will, you will have... Actually, I'll give you the... No, start at 90. Start at uh, chapter 90. And just start to read just these psalms of reflection of how good God is, because he is. So let's, let's read through the psalm. Psalm 96. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let, the, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. If you look at that passage, you'll see that Lord is often in all capitals. And the reason it's in all capitals is because in the original translation, the word used for Lord would have been Yahweh which is the highest name that Jews would give to God. And it was a word that they would not even pronounce. They would actually drop the vowels out of it so that, it, so that they could actually write it. it was, the, the word was that holy, it was not even written completely. The vowels were dropped out because they feared doing that. So when it says the Lord, they are, that passage is actually ascribing the greatest name of the Lord in that particular passage. Anyway, let's break this, this, this psalm down because I think there's some really good things to learn from it and, it, and it, it has a natural flow. In verses 1 to 3, there, the, verses, the verses actually say, can you flick over, please, Leanne? There will be a focus. Where will our focus and attention be this year? Look at, look at this verse. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all the peoples. Folks, this year, we have a choice as to whether or not we will do that regardless of our circumstances. This year, we have a choice as to whether or not we will declare the greatness of God in all of our circumstances. If you look at the book of Job in the Old Testament, Job was doing this and we look at what Job had to go through and you think, man, I don't know how I would cope with all of that. 
I don't know how I would cope with losing everything, losing family, possessions. He was covered in sores. He would take broken pottery and scrape the sores on his skin. Marvelous, isn't it? And he sat there and his friends said to him, curse God. No, his wife actually said to him, curse God and die. And he said, I will not. I will declare his greatness. Folks, too often in our society, too often we tend to blame others for our circumstance. Remember last year, I I talked a little bit about this. We talked about the 15% rule. The fact that you are probably in control of about 15% of your life max. I was riding my motorcycle yesterday afternoon. I enjoy going for a ride by myself just to clear my head. And I went up to Mount Kutha, had a coffee, and decided I was going to ride down to um, the botanical gardens and have my quiet time in the gardens looking over the river, just kind of mixing it up a little bit. And I'm riding past Roma Street, and there's this young geezer in a car, and he's there's kind of three lanes, and he burns around in front of me, and the next five sets of lights... He's going from the left lane to the middle lane to the right lane. But every set of lights, he ends up right next to me. And I I said to him, it'd be really good if you just picked a lane. (laughs) He didn't appreciate it. But when you ride a motorcycle, you are highly aware. If, If you're not aware of what's going on around about you, you should not be riding a motorcycle. Because you need to understand that your life is not in your hands. Your life is in the hands of people who duck and weave and change lanes rapidly. Our lives, folks, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what is going to happen to us. We don't know what's going to befall our family and friends. And things that we would like to be in control of, we aren't. And the habit we have in the West is that we think if we just throw money at things, it'll fix it. Have you noticed that? The governmental response to all problems is, when they get in front of the cameras, is to tell everybody how much money they're spending on a problem. I would rather hear what outcomes are we trying to achieve and how are we going to achieve them. If anybody from government's listening to this, pro tip. But can you understand what I'm saying? We do not have control of everything that's happening in our lives. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we grasp that, the better. The things that you are in control of, do something about them. As in, when you wake up, how you spend your time, the things that you study, what's the long-term goal that you have and what are the things that you need to put in place to actually get to that place. That's the stuff you should be spending your time on. Who are the people in your life that matter? Do you make space and time for them just to hang out with them? Do you have just time where you play games? We have family night from time to time. We have family night once a week. Have done for many years since the kids were little. And whenever it's Leanne's turn to do something on family night, she plays board games. I hate board games but I play 
and I get competitive. But it's something good to do to spend time with one another. It's not all about what you like, I keep getting told. So it, we, do, do you spend time just kind of doing that with people who are special to you? See, these are the things, folks, that we need to make, that we are in control of. So let's do that. But the, but the best thing we can do is that we are in control of whether or not we sing praise, whether we give God praise and glory and honour in the good times and the bad. The psalmist says, let's just do it. Let's praise his name. Let's lift him high. Let's tell everybody how great he is and let's reinforce in our mind by doing this just how big, not just God, but Yahweh, the God of all gods, the creator of the universe, the one who made you and me, the one who breathed life and spirit and breath into your very body, he's the one who's worthy of praise. What can we do? So we choose to praise him. We choose to sing. We choose to focus on good things this year. Let's go to the next one. The thing is, he is superior to anything else. If we don't think idolatry is prevalent in our Western society, I would, I would, I would argue differently. Even for us as Christians... We idolise, we can idolise things over God, our job, our career, our family, a particular leader. We can do these things and put somebody in a place of being an idol where everything... You know, you know when, you, when you first hear somebody and you think, man, they're really cool, I like what they're saying. And then we make the mistake of thinking that everything they say is really cool. And then you realise, hang on a minute... This guy or this girl's a little bit, a little bit stilted one way or the other. Or maybe we think everything that we say is right, rather than acknowledging that there's some things that we don't know. Have you heard of the Jahari window? It highlights the fact that there are things in our lives that we know. The first quadrant is what we know and what others know. It's just pretty obvious, you know, like, what do you, you know the colour of the shirt I'm wearing today. You know that there's grey in my beard that wasn't there a couple of years ago. You know these things. It's relevant to me because I see it when I look in the mirror. You see it when you look at me and you talk to me. The second quadrant is what's known to you but not to others. These are our secrets. These are the things we don't tell anybody. Then there's the stuff that's known to others but maybe not known to us. This is where we sometimes lack self-awareness. I know when I first started to preach, there were words that I would repeatedly say but I wouldn't know. And I would have people say to me, you realise that you said... So I had people who would count the number of times I would say a particular word. And then straight after the message, come and tell me, you said such and such 11 times today. Gee, thanks. What else did you get out of it? So that's stuff that others know, but you don't. But then there's that fourth quadrant, which is stuff that you don't know and others don't know. It's kind of only the stuff that God knows. And this is because he's God. He understands everything about you. 
You think back, if you're, if you're like me and in your 50s, or even if you're in your 40s, think about when you're in your 30s and your 20s. I, I, there's, a, there's a saying often said by those who are close to retirement age that say that youth is wasted on the young. Have you heard that saying? <laughs> As you get older, you get wiser, but you kind of your ability to do some things is inhibited and because of things that are breaking down in your body. But, but folks, God understands each and every aspect of who we are. Here's a dangerous prayer. Father, asking him for self-awareness, for spiritual maturity, and the stuff that he sees that you don't see, that he wants you to see, ask him. You mightn't like what you see, but the reason he shows it to you is to bring about a place of repentance and grace and wholeness. He wants to do that because he is God. Folks, any God that we can think up with our six kilogram brain is not a God worth following. I've done much study. I did a degree, a Bachelor of Ministries through QB, through Baptist Theological College. Then to get ordained as a reverend, you have to do postgraduate studies. Now they ask you to do a master's. Thankfully, back then, that wasn't the case. They asked you to do a graduate diploma rather than a master's. Lee's got to do a master's. Bless you, brother. (laughs) And then we do other study. And in all of that, you know the one thing that keeps getting reinforced the more I study Scripture? the more I read about those who are studying Scripture, is that there are things about God that I cannot fathom and understand. And I'm okay with that. There are many things I can understand. There are many things I have a particular view on based on what I read in his word. But there's much that we don't know. And I often ask myself, when I go to be with the Lord in heaven, when we go to be with the Lord in heaven, will we be so overwhelmed with just the majesty and the the, the greatness of being with him that all of my questions will be answered? Or will there be a lineup where you kind of go and say, God, I didn't understand this. What was with that? I don't know what it will be. Or will there be somehow, like, like the Matrix, there will, where there will be so like some information dump into my brain and all that I misunderstood or didn't understand will be made clear? I don't know. The mystery of God. But what I do know is that when he said to that thief, hang on the cross beside him, today you will be in paradise. That is the promise that he has for you and I. When I read Revelation, especially the last couple of chapters of Revelation that talks about the tree of healing for the nations and the river flowing through that place and just the overwhelming sense of the presence of God, folks, paradise is where God is. That's what he meant when he said it to the thief. Paradise is where the Spirit of God is. Anyway, I digress. 
But can you see just how futile worrying about things, idolising things, getting so caught up in things that we have no control of can lead us down this path? I've been listening to a number of um, podcasts. I, I, there's one I would like to recommend to you if you have the opportunity to, is, is uh, one called Conversations with John Anderson. John Anderson used to be the Deputy Prime Minister under John Howard many years ago, and he's actually a Christian. Um, and he's quite overt about his Christianity when he talks to his interviewees um, about the resurrection. In fact, he had an he a interview with Douglas Murray where he talked about the need in our society was for a, a re-understanding of what it meant in, the, in, in who God was and that he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the only way that we're going to have that. Anyway, some of the things that, have been, that, that, they've been, that he's been talking about to some of the people he's interviewed has been how... When we were in lockdown, just how much of a rabbit hole a lot of people went down when you've got access to YouTube and a computer. And when you've got a whole bunch of time on your hands and you're at home and you can't go anywhere and you look at the algorithm of YouTube and how if you watch something in particular, then it's going to give you suggestions to go to other things, just the damage that that did... And, and you know one of the one of the biggest one of the biggest damages is that we one of the one of the things of God is that He is all knowing, and in our desire to be like God, sometimes we want to be all knowing too. Have you noticed? And I've noticed it in my lifetime. When I was at school or when I went to Bible college, one of the things that you did when you wrote an assignment was you went into the library and you pulled books out, like physical books like this, and you read and you made notes. And then when you wrote your assignment, you footnoted where you got your source from. It was all done manually. And I would spend hours in the library writing assignments. Now, everything's online. And you can just, I mean, you can access libraries online, but you can access information, everybody, and everybody's got an opinion. And it doesn't matter. You, YouTube and, 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 and the internet doesn't discern whether or not this particular opinion is correct or not. You've heard of these guys. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, the end of the world is happening on the 22nd of July, 2008. Do you know what I mean? Like everything that's happening. In, when it was the GFC, there was, you know, it was the end of the world. When, the, when, the, when COVID hit, it was the end of the world. And, and people would use these, these, these terms like unprecedented. Really? hundred years ago, there was a thing called the Spanish flu. Took out way more people than COVID did. When World War II was on, I've been reading um, a book, I think I've shared with you, I've been reading a book by Geoffrey Blaney called A Short History of Christianity. Do you know that during World War I especially, there are a lot of Christian leaders saying that the world was coming to an end. There were churches who were siding with particular leaderships. Folks, God is superior to anything we can create. 
He is above anything that's going on within our world. Now, should we be ignorant of what's going on in our world? Absolutely not. Billy Graham used to say, the, person, the Christian, Christians need to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But if, you can, if we can go forever not looking at this and yet we're consuming a myriad of data from the world, have a guess which is going to have an influence over you. I'm not sure who said this, but it has been said that if you look at your five closest friends, I can predict what you're going to be like in 12 to 24 months' time. Psychologists say that who you hang around with is a predictor of what you will be. Who you let influence you is a predictor of who you will become. Folks, we have access to the Father through this. We have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. If we hang around him and people who honour him, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to be more and more incrementally becoming like him. We obviously can't be him because we're sinful beings. But the quest, the desire, is to move to this place of Christ-likeness. Taking on the very characteristics of Jesus in our life. This is what he wants us to do. Anyway, I will keep going. It's school holidays. You need to be shorter, David. Anyway, uh, verse 10. Sorry, verse 7 to 9. We can choose to glorify God in our everyday lives. Let's... And, 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 and folks, again, what I said before about what's going on in our lives. I'm reading Jeremiah at the moment. You would not want to be that guy. I mean, I'm up to, at the moment, chapter 30. I think it was yesterday I was reading chapter 38 where he was thrown into a cistern. That is a well that was muddy at the bottom because these guys didn't like what he said. These officials didn't like what he said. But God is saying to us, we have to ascribe greatness to God regardless of what is going on in our lives. Now, to ascribe greatness, to ascribe is to acknowledge the characteristics that are embodied in that person already. And when the scriptures say ascribe, it's saying amplify, acknowledge, say out loud what everybody knows internally, that the God, that God is great, that... Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's ascribing qualities that are synonymous with God. And look who he's saying to do that. Families of nations. Families are not just mum, dad and a couple of kids. I think I've said this to you before, but I'll say it again. That is a 1950s construct. Families are about clans. When the scripture talks about families, especially in Old Testament, it's talking about clans. It's talking about mum, dad, kids, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and those who were adopted into the family. Because you've got to remember back then, life expectancy, illness, all that sort of stuff, people, were, people got wiped out. Kids often had no families, and it was the responsibility of aunts and uncles, to take kids on board, to adopt them in. My uncle did that. My dad's brother 
his wife's sister, no, his wife's brother and his, and, and her, his wife died in a car accident and he had one child and his brother-in-law had three and he just brought them into the family and they lived with four kids in a house that was just very small. Why did they do that? Because they valued family. Why do we do that? Because we value family. Folks, we as a church, it's, and it's, look, it's, it's a loaded term, I know, and I'm, I'm reluctant to, to um, acknowledge it even, but because family in our society today has so many um, sometimes negative stigmas attached to it because of what some of you have experienced in family, which should have been a safe place but wasn't, when we talk about the family of God, sometimes for you it can trigger things and you, and, and, and you think, oh, I don't want that, and I get that. And if that was your experience, I am deeply sorry that that was your experience, but that was not God's intention. God's intention was that family should be the safest place. That family should be the place where you can be who you really are. And folks, one of the great things about church family is that, just as we welcome Dorothy in this morning, is that God creates a space where we can be his people together. We come from all different backgrounds, all different nationalities, all different understandings, all different families of origin, but God says, I want this group of people to be my family here. And that's what he, that's what he wants. And I would, I would challenge you, I would encourage you, let him rewrite, let him reclaim what it means to be family if your experience of family was not good or not healthy. He wants to do that. Anyway, so he wants us to choose to glorify God in our everyday lives. We ascribe to his nature. Let's go to the next one. And God's in control of both the macro and the micro. I love, I love this bit where he talks about, in verse 10, for 40, um, uh, that the, the fields, uh, say among the nations, the Lord reigns, the world is firmly established. Do you know that, if we, that this blue planet, if it was a little bit further away from the sun or closer to the sun, or if the axis wasn't the way that it was, it would be uninhabitable? The position of this world, of this earth, is in fact infinitesimally exact and accurate because we believe that the creator of the universe placed it here to support life. That's part of the macro. The world is established firmly. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And have you ever thought, what happens to those who perpetrate evil but in our earthly eyes never receive justice. The scriptures say there will come a day where justice will be meted out. Unfortunately today, when we hear terms like justice or closure, most people are talking about revenge. 
And if revenge is on our heart, revenge just means that we become what we despise. Revenge is not healthy. Forgiveness is healthy. Letting due process take its course, that's healthy. Asking God for a change of heart in those who wrong us is healthy. But ultimately knowing that it is God who will judge. He's the one who will judge all either now or in the end. And then he goes on, let the heavens rejoice. I love this. And the earth be glad. Verse, verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the, let the seas resound. So all of this, so he's placed the blue planet in its position and that's a testament to his glory. But then everything in it gives glory to him. And we're back at the beginning, right? Back at the beginning, you and I, Give glory to God. You and I sing praises to him. We're at the end of the psalm. What's happening now? All of his creation's giving praise to him. The sea, what's in it? Then he talks about the fields, the, the abundance of harvest, the forests, the creation of fauna, flora, the natural. And I don't know whether you're like me or not, but I just love being outside. It's just I, I, I'm not really wired for an office job, but I guess that's what I've got but I just love being outside. For me, when I'm in nature, when I'm outside, when I'm near the ocean, when I'm in the bush, when I'm up the mountain, that's when I feel closest to God. Don't ask me why. I don't know. It just is. For you, it's probably, it could be something else. It could be reading books or, or being with friends or whatever it may be. Whatever it is, it was created for your pleasure. But he says, the seas, the harvested fields, the forests, the creation, it will all sing praises to God. Don't the scriptures say, if we don't give praise to God, he will raise up rocks to do it? Folks, this God that we serve is worthy of praise. And my, my, my desire this morning is that we would start the year, Lee shared last week about, um, uh, about our direction and where we're going and what God wants to do with us in that. That's, that's great and we need to do that. But we can't do that out of a place of self-centeredness. We can't do that out of a place of going down the rabbit hole and being distracted by so much that's happening all around about us. We need to be aware of it, yes. We need to pray about it, yes. Pray for our leaders, yes. Pray for people around about us, yes. But don't let it be the major thing. Let the giving praise and glory to God be the major thing and the other the minor in all that, you wanted, in all that he wants for us. Let's go to the next one. So all the created order testifies to the coming of the Messiah. So my, my, my question for you today, how can we adjust our thinking this year to focus upon God? Is there something that you need to do? Is there a practice that you need to put in place? Or is there something that you need to take out or minimize so that your thinking focuses more upon God this year than anything else? And this year, how do we choose to take responsibility for our decisions? Your decisions are your decisions. 
And God wants you to take responsibility for those. I've got more questions. Gee, I've got lots of questions for you today, haven't I? Jingos. I better, I better put these up on, up on the Facebook page. How can we adjust our thinking this year to focus upon God? How can we choose to make, take responsibility for our decisions and remember is God, God is bigger than all the evil in the world? Folks, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And as I look at some of the conflict, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in it, but I'm also thankful that I'm not in it. But that doesn't mean, again, who knows what the future holds. We need to be thanking God because God is bigger than all that goes, around, goes on around about us. Let's go to the next slide. I've got more questions here. Sorry. Last two. Whew. You'll be questioned out. Okay, so what do I need to hand over to God intentionally today to bring focus back to him? It's a little bit like that other question. What can I give back to him? What, what, what's consuming me? What's worrying me that I can actually just give it to God and acknowledge that it's in the 85% that I'm not in control of and give it to the creator of the universe who is in control of things? And what does a free and trusting me look like in 2023? What does it look like for you to trust him this year in all that's going on in your life? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for being with us today. We thank you, Father God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for these psalms. Lord, they're just such amazing psalms that bring the focus of who you are into our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people that give you glory and honour and praise because you're worthy of it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people, Lord, who are aware of what's going on around about us but not consumed by it. That we, in fact, would be consumed by you. That we would be consumed by the grace and the love and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Father, we just want to thank you that you are a great God. And we thank you that we have the freedom to worship you together as your people today. That we have the freedom to gather here in your name. We do not take that for granted, Lord, and we acknowledge that today. And we bless you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.